0: Marriage has been so maligned so often that people often wonder, what's the point? After all, half of all marriages end in divorce, and those that don't seem to be miserable. In fact, people within them describe themselves as the old ball and chain sometimes. Well, at least that's what our culture projects as it relates to marriage. Is that really what marriage is like, and do half of all marriages really end in divorce? No, of course not. Actually, the uh, research that has gone into the divorce rate has indicated that while divorce rates did peak in the early 1980s, they have been on a constant decline since then. In fact, a Business Insider report in 2017 found that of those marriages that began in the 2000s, only 15% Ended in divorce. Think about that. And the divorce rate, by the way, never did hit 50%. Uh, In the early 80s, it reached as high as the early 40%, which is troubling and concerning and represented a significant and historical uptick. Uh, It was an anomaly, really, when you look at the history of marriage. But again, that rate has since fallen. Today, people believe that they enter into a marriage with a half-and-half chance of it either working out or it ending in divorce but the statistics simply do not back up that cultural assumption really that cultural misunderstanding of data points that were compiled in the early 1980s and those beliefs continue to manifest themselves even in our popular culture today we should push back against that with the truth that research has demonstrated the second this idea that well marriages are miserable is is that true are marriages miserable are people within them unhappy well this is interesting there is a an article published in unheard back in 2023 in in august so just a few months ago and it says the best predictor of happiness in america marriage It reads, Americans who are married with children are now leading happier and more prosperous lives on average than men and women who are single and childless. Is that statement surprising? In an age that uh, that prizes individualism, workism, and a host of other self-centric isms above marriage and family, it may well be. But the reality is that nothing currently predicts happiness in life better than a good marriage. The truth is borne out yet again in new research from the University of Chicago, which found that marriage is the most important differentiator of who is happy in America and that falling marriage rates are a chief reason why happiness has declined nationally. The research surveying thousands of respondents revealed a startling 30 percentage point happiness divide between married and unmarried Americans. This happiness boost held true for both men and women. Think about that for just a moment. Isn't that research startling? There's a 30-point gap between singles and those who are married. And it says that when we look at our culture at large, as we see that happiness is in decline, and that's something that has shown up in studies across uh, various disciplines, but as we have found that happiness is in decline— we find that there is a direct correlation between marriage being in decline. And so when we think about marriage and about how often it has been maligned, it's important that we look at what the data actually tells us, that marriage is a great good, that God has intended it accordingly. In fact, Martin Luther, in a tremendous quote, and he had so many of those, but he said this, There is no more lovely, friendly, or charming relationship, communion, or company, than a good marriage. And today, in this episode, I want to spend time talking about the goodness of marriage. In last week's episode, we considered how the Bible is pro-marriage, pro-body, and pro-pleasure. Today we're going to look at how we see the goodness of the Lord through marriage. And the benefits that correspond with marriage. So what difference do we see in the life of the believer? What should a good marriage produce in the follower of Jesus Christ? And I want to talk just about four different ways that we see God's blessings through marriage. And there are a number of other areas in which we see this. But for the sake of today's episode, we're going to unpack four of those. The first would be that marriage helps us to recognize God's blessings and to abound in gratitude. In my marriage vows to my wife, Amy, I shared just a a few words about the goodness of God. And in that, I described my wife as the embodiment of God's faithfulness to me. What did I mean by that? Well, by that, I meant that I could visibly see God's goodness in such a tangible way that it was awe-inspiring to me. There are so many intangible ways in which God blesses our lives and so many ways that perhaps we are unaware of. As we go throughout our daily life, God blesses us with each new breath, and we often take that for granted. There are so many spiritual blessings that we've received. And yet, when I consider all that God was doing through my life, both in that season when I had first met my wife, as I got to know her, as I got to understand God's measure of love towards me through sending a helpmate across my life's path, as I envisioned the future at that moment of the ways through which God would bless us and the seasons of life through which he would lead us and the ministry that he would do through us collectively. Now, even looking back at that and seeing where he has brought us, I see that God has uniquely blessed me through his provision of a wonderful spouse, of a helpmate who's able to go through this life and and to experience the goodness of the Lord with me. You know, James chapter 1, verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above. And in Proverbs 18, it says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. When we think about the goodness of God, do we thank him for the people that he's brought across our paths? Well, through marriage, we are reminded daily as we interact with our spouses, that that God has brought somebody across our path who's unique and able to, to meet our needs, able to walk this life's path with us. Now, this is not to say that All of our needs are to be met in in our spouse or that we rely upon them. We rely uniquely upon the Lord. But we recognize the blessing of having somebody who can come alongside and share life's experiences with us, who can navigate the difficult seasons with us, who can hold us accountable and serve as a prayer partner, one who can also come alongside in times of difficulty and support us and uplift us when we lack the strength to sustain ourselves. God provides That measure of goodness, strength, and encouragement through his provision so often of our spouses. And so marriage helps us to recognize God's blessings and to abound in gratitude. The second is that marriage gives us someone to serve. Now, Think about this for just a moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, it is describing the decision to be married or not to wed, and it can be a confusing passage for many because if you just read through it sort of with this criticism that Western society has for marriage right now, you might think that this chapter is somehow contributing to the malignment of, of marriage and, and attacking marriage in some way. But that's not the case instead the point of that chapter is to talk about christian liberty and to say that those who through uh, their exercise of christian liberty are, are married that they can bring honor and glory to the lord but there are challenges there and there are some obstacles to avoid and there are some warnings in that passage those who choose to be single there are challenges there are warnings uh there are things to be prepared for but one can still bring honor and glory to the lord as a single individual and of course we saw that through the example of the lord jesus christ and through the example of the apostle paul and paul addresses that in first corinthians chapter seven But in that passage, he he says something fascinating. He says, uh, and this is verses 32 and 33. It says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. Now that sounds as though it is a negative criticism of marriage uh, in some way, but it's not. It's addressing the reality that a single man does not have uh, the concern for his wife. That is not one of the driving motivations of his lo- of his life. How can I meet the needs and the concerns and the priorities of my wife? Instead, he can be fully focused on the work of ministry to which the Lord has called him. But this is not establishing a greater than position. It's not saying that one is more honoring and glorifying to the Lord than the other, instead remembering the context that it's addressing both the blessings and the concerns about whatever situation one happens to find himself. And in this passage, it just addresses the reality that the married man is concerned about the affairs of the world and how he can please his wife. But you know, this is actually a really good thing. We know that the goal of Christian ministry is to serve the other, to show love just as we've received love from God, to learn to forgive as we've been so forgiven in Christ, to bear one another's burdens, to be encouraging and uplifting. But think about this within the context of marriage. The Lord has uniquely sent somebody across our path. He has entrusted somebody to us, a, a spouse who we can uniquely serve, encourage, minister to. We have an opportunity through our daily interaction to get to know an individual in such a way that we know of much deeper needs. We know of greater needs. We know of real emotional turmoil. We learn of the stresses and the burdens that one carries that nobody else in the world has the opportunity to uniquely understand and we have this information not that somebody can kind of grate on us and and can rub us the wrong way or show that we can just be the person that receives all of the negativity that somebody experiences through the day as though they take out their stresses on us or something like that but instead we hear those stresses and we learn of one's burdens of their real sincere spiritual struggles and of their emotional hardships and And any other types of wrestling that they do in in this flesh and as they walk the the path of this life, we get to uniquely understand their needs and God has given us what we need to be able to serve those needs and to meet them where they are. This is a great opportunity to be concerned about our spouse, to be fully invested in our spouse's well-being. And one of the things that makes marriage so unique is that it is so long-lasting. That as we minister to our spouse's needs, that their needs are going to change season by season. I think about when I first met my wife. uh, You know, we got married, and uh, it was actually kind of a quick year. We met in 2010. We met in January. We were married in September. We bought a house in October. We found that we were pregnant in November. So it was just like this blur of a year. But I think about everything that changed within that year and the opportunities that I had to serve my wife, I had the opportunity to secure housing for us. We first rented an apartment. We only rented it one month, our first month of marriage, and then that ended up not being a viable option for us. And so we bought a house. Now, I didn't have any skills, but that house needed to be updated. In fact, it actually needed to be taken down all the way to the studs. That was a problem because I didn't have the information What are the resources to fully do that? But you know what? I had to acquire the information. I had to acquire the skill and I had to acquire the financial resources I needed to make that house into a home. And because of the relationship, because the obligation of it, and I say that in a positive way, because of the responsibility that God had entrusted to me, I was serious about becoming a better man and meeting my spouse's needs. And as she was pregnant then, so meeting the needs of my wife and our unborn child. And so I look at that season, I say, you know, I was uniquely challenged to step up. And I have seen so many men. So many, I'm going to say so many boys that I've seen in life that were young men and I see them going through life with all of these different ambitions or desires and all of these hobbies they might have. And and their spouse gets pregnant, their wife gets pregnant and, and you wonder, well, is he going to be able to rise up to this challenge? And I've seen boys put away childish things and become men and quit playing games and quit playing house, but instead become committed to building homes. And I've seen them grow uh, in so many ways professionally, grow in character, grow in effort. Why? Because that season of responsibility called for it. And that's one unique season of responsibility. But think about as as children age or if, or if uh, a married couple doesn't have children, but as they uh, progress professionally and the unique challenges that come those later seasons in life as perhaps one spouse battles illness and the other one has to uniquely step up and, and meet the needs of the other. Marriage provides us with somebody who we have the opportunity, the blessing to serve. And I find that serving. My spouse is so, serving my wife is so rewarding and fulfilling to me, and I trust it is for you as well, to see God's goodness work through us, to see a measure of his love that we have an opportunity to express and to see what God does uniquely through that as we grow in our love for our spouses. And so marriage gives us someone to serve. Third, marriage is a powerful restraint against sexual sin. Now, I, I want to share from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 yet again, and this is the not the first verse, but picking up in the second through the fifth verse. It says, But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband." I want to be very cautious in in how I frame this because what I don't want you to walk away from this episode believing is that God has just created marriage so that people wouldn't fall into sexual sin, as though, again, the Bible would have a negative sexual ethic or a negative outlook on human sexuality. That is simply not the case. Remember, the Bible has a positive sexual ethic. The Bible is pro-marriage, pro-body, and pro pleasure in fact the Bible is not trying to restrict sexual pleasure but instead to maximize it in last week's episode we found that couples who have been married uh, over a number of decades actually enjoyed the greatest measure of of enjoyment within physical intimacy uh, not unattached single adults who have uh, numerous promiscuous encounters that is simply not the case but instead we found that the Bible is pro, Pleasure. So this passage, this warning is not a warning because God wants people to avoid pleasure. Instead, he wants people to enjoy that pleasure within the institution that was created uniquely for man and woman to enjoy that relationship and that measure of intimacy together. And by the way, physical intimacy is important, not just for the physical enjoyment, but for the intimacy created and enjoyed within it. Remember from Song of Solomon where it says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. This is the great ideal for the union between man and woman in the holy institute of marriage. And so this is an ideal, uh, but we are reminded through this passage and repeatedly in scripture that sexual sin is serious. It's a sin that believers ought to take seriously. Um, uh, now being married does not remove all temptation or else there wouldn't be, uh, acts such as infidelity, but it does provide a wonderful, abundant life that is superior to those other options to chasing, uh, promiscuous acts outside of marriage or to chase, uh, sexual relations outside of the marital covenant in one way or another. And so, uh, In marriage, as we have seen that contemporary research bears out, again, that couples who are married enjoy a higher level of satisfaction. They are happier than society at large uh, by a 30-point differential we saw uh, earlier in this episode, but as well as it relates to uh, physical intimacy, that there is a much greater level of satisfaction within physical intimacy as well. And this is something to be enjoyed and to be celebrated. And God's people ought to speak in those clear terms because marriage is to be so enjoyable and it is created to lead to human thriving. When it submits to the plan that God has so established for the institution of marriage, it is corresponding with the abundant life. And when one is enjoying the abundant life, what does the world have to offer what there would we trade in for the great blessings that we find through the Lord's provision, through his goodness as expressed through the marriage uh, institution, the marital institution? As we see this in this passage, we we find that maintaining this bond is so important Uh that setting aside physical intimacy for even spiritual considerations is cautioned against. So God takes this idea that husband and wife coming together through the act of physical intimacy, that it is such a blessing for man and woman within marriage, that it's something that the married couple ought not to put off if at all possible. Now there are obviously uh, health considerations there. There's a number of other reasons why couples would not be able to enjoy physical intimacy, but so long as couples are able to, they should for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, for their own blessing and enjoyment so that they can have intimacy with one another. The final, the final way that we're going to discuss today that the couple sees, the married couple sees the goodness of the Lord through marriage, is that marriage forces us to come face to face with our own sin struggles and to grow spiritually. Now, The common Christian cliche that you'll hear about marriage is that marriage is intended to make you not just happy, but it's to make you holy. And I think that that's a great partial quote. Um, But I think that there can be a false dichotomy there between pleasure and holiness. I I don't think that we have to abandon one for the sake of the other. In fact, I believe that when when we walk God's great holy plan, the path he has established for us, that we will find ourselves abounding in joy and overflowing with gratitude to the Lord. But... We do recognize that a great blessing of marriage is that it it challenges us to grow in our walks with the Lord Jesus Christ and empowers us to grow in our sanctification. C.S. Lewis, in a quote about love from Mere Christianity, said this, Love is a deep unity, maintained by by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, kept in contact by the grace which both partners ask and receive from the Lord. As we consider how we walk in that grace that God provides, how we determine to be united together, to grow, to grow in holiness, I want to share uh, part of an article from Tim Challies that was uh, published on December 13th, 2021. The title of this article is The Great Challenge of Every Marriage, and it was printed on December 13th, 2021. And I just want to read actually the last paragraph from this article. It says, in marriage god allows us to see one another as we really are then to accept one another as we really are as holistic human beings who are a mixture of holy and depraved grown up and immature wonderful and almost unbelievably annoying marriage makes us holy not just in compelling us to identify and confront sin in the other but also in calling us to bear patiently with another person's sin preferences and bad habits In other words, marriage makes us holy in the way it calls us to be like God in overlooking offenses, in imparting mercy, in extending forgiveness, in displaying compassion, in refusing to be petty. Thus, the great sanctifying challenge of marriage is not so much to fix one another as to imitate Christ. I just want to take a few minutes talking about that as we wind down this episode. You know, in marriage, we have to come face-to-face with our own spiritual condition because we rub shoulders each day with someone who is not perfect. And I don't want to surprise you, uh, but your spouse is not perfect, and neither are you. And I think about how many times my wife has, must have had to come face-to-face with my own failures, with my selfishness, with my pride, with the sin habits that I just might have entered into the marriage union thinking were normal, and I just thought somebody else has to accept When you're single, you don't have the other who lives with you day in and day out and who sees your flaws. You know, you can hide your flaws for a short period of time, but over time, those are exposed. As you live with somebody day in and day out, they know what you are like, they know how you really respond to challenges. When you're Integrity is challenged when somebody does something that is hurtful to you. And so in marriage, you are forced to learn to bear with one another, to be patient with the other, to allow space for somebody to grow. You don't enter into a marriage Uh, as though it were just an earthly contract where somebody has obligations, and if they don't do those obligations, then you leave. Instead it's a covenant, it is a binding agreement in the sight of God and man. It is one in which you commit to being one with your spouse, to go through the seasons of life together to promote their well-being, to encourage them as they pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we submit to one another in the fear and reverence of Jesus. And this is so important, but it's also so challenging for us. Why? Because we're not always perfect in our responses either. And so while we live with someone who struggles with sin, we also struggle with sin. Well, that sounds like bad news, doesn't it? You have a household in which you have two sinners living in close proximity together. Well, that's not quite true either. If you're followers of Jesus Christ, you are both saints. You're not sinners. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so you are able to grow. And oftentimes, God uses our spouses to help us come face-to-face with our own sin struggles. If our spouse is able to lovingly be gracious and to step back sometimes and give us space to process where we're at, if we can do that for our spouse as well. And sometimes we come back and we have conversation like, why did you act that way? Did you think that that was the appropriate way to respond? Did it bring honor and glory to God? Did it bring us closer together as we both serve and, and seek out worshiping Jesus? Is, is that what your actions, is that what your words produced? Sometimes that can be challenging and, and it's hurtful because we, knew, we know that we stumbled or we We fell. Sometimes we learn to forgive somebody and we forgive our spouse and we see God work in such a renewing and transforming way that past hurts are completely healed and we're able to come together in a unique way. Through marriage, our sin struggles are exposed. Our spouse's sin struggles are exposed. But so also is God's mercy and graciousness. As we learn to show God's mercy and graciousness, so also do we receive that and we see ourselves coming together even closer. We become more intimate with our spouses because we don't have anything to hide. We don't have to hide our flaws. We don't have to pretend something that we're not. But we do need to pursue the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we grow together in that way, what an opportunity to see God increasingly glorified through our lives. As we do move towards closing this episode, I I do want to share something from a Christian writer, there was a book a number of years ago that came out. It's called Love and Respect, and it was such a, a good resource on how marriages can respond. And what it dealt with was what happens when Christians don't respond well to the sin struggles of their spouse. What happens oftentimes, and the author addresses, is what he called the crazy cycle. So what happens is that the wife does not believe that she's receiving the love that that she deserves. And the Husband believes he's not respecting the res- he's not receiving the respect that he believes he deserves. So what happens? If he's not feeling the respect that he believes he deserves, then he starts not showing his wife the love that she deserves. So pretty soon, in turn, she's not showing respect to him because she doesn't feel loved. And so you have this crazy cycle where people are not investing in one another. But there's a way out of the crazy cycle. One of the spouses has to decide, I'm not going to live in this crazy cycle anymore. God has called me to love my bride as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that's what I'm going to do. Even if I don't believe that I'm receiving the respect that I think I need. Even if my spouse isn't responding in this perfect holy way that I believe that she should. It takes the, the wife perhaps saying, I will respect my husband as, as, the, as the church submits to the headship of Jesus Christ. So also will I respond in respect in respect to my husband And I'm going to treat him with love and respect. And I'm going to do that because I love Jesus Christ and because I want to see my husband grow. When a spouse does this, when a wife does this, then God so moves. And it is marvelous to see. I've seen couples at the threshold of divorce who felt as though they were not receiving love or respect. And see God transform that because one of the spouse or both of them start getting serious about forgiving each other. About bearing one another's burdens. About being patient towards one another as we grow in that way we experience the goodness of God because we learn what it means to really be humble to really submit to God's plan and to embrace the goodness that he has for us I believe that marriage results in so many wonderful blessings, and I hope that today's episode has been encouraging for you. God desires that you would grow in holiness. He desires that you would grow in intimacy with your spouse. He desires that you would better recognize the embodiment of his faithfulness to you, his goodness that is actively at work in your life through your marriage. May the Lord bless you. I look forward to discussing being single next week with you in that episode. May God bless you.